Before we get into this episode, we have a quick favor to ask you. If you love our show, please scroll down to the review section of your favorite podcast platform and leave us a five-star rating. If you have a few more seconds, please also leave us a review telling us what you like most about our show. We read every single one of these and we appreciate them so much. This will also help us grow and get into the ears of those who love true crime and food as much as you do. Thanks and enjoy the episode. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, true crime fans. We're the hosts of True North True Crime. With today's 24-hour news cycle, it's easy for a murder or a missing person case to fall quickly out of the headlines. Victims still need a voice long after the media has stopped reporting about them. True North True Crime raises awareness for victims by telling their stories. So listen and subscribe to True North True Crime wherever you listen to podcasts. And stay safe, everyone. Stay safe, you guys. Welcome to Dietetics After Dark. Your source for food-related crime, scandal, and fraud. Hi, everyone. I'm Sarah. And I'm Becca. Welcome to Dietetics After Dark. Yes, welcome back. We have a super exciting episode today. Very big one. Mm -hmm. How are you doing? I'm doing great. We were thinking about taking a break from the podcast because we're starting our placement soon, right? Mm -hmm. Lots going on, but we're just having so much fun. I think we're going to keep going with it. Yep. Taking a break is not an option right now. (laughs) No, and I actually don't want to. Like, we're starting to get feedback from people that's so exciting. And we started that new segment on extra cheese where people Mm -hmm. write in. And it's just such an exciting time for Dietetics After Dark. So we're just letting you know that we thought about taking a break and we're not going to. No. And I mean, your support means the world to both of us. So thank Mm -hmm. you so much for, for everything, all the comments and feedback. And for those of you who have given us your audio clips to add into extra cheese. It's all been so amazing. 
It has been. It's so fun to listen to your different, fun, interesting, weird food stories. Yes, definitely. So today we are going to talk about all things pseudoscience and investigate a topic that is a little bit more nutrition adjacent, and that's the wellness industry. Specifically, its largest offender, Gwyneth Paltrow's Goop. Ooh, let's do it. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. If you're interested in medical nutrition therapy or personalized nutrition advice, please talk to a registered dietitian in your area. All the citations and relevant links for anything mentioned in this episode will be in our show notes. This podcast may contain coarse language and mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. This is an independently produced podcast. If you could rate, review, and subscribe, that would really help us out, and we will be forever grateful. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Sarah is going to tell us a little bit more about alternative science, just, I guess, more in general, right? Yes. Yeah. And it's not a small topic. Mm-hmm. Um, so more alternative medicine, alternative therapies. And I am going to start out with a disclaimer because discussing alternative medicine on an evidence-based podcast with two co-hosts that are studying, training, we're going to be regulated healthcare professionals is super challenging. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There are a lot of conflicting opinions out there. And what we really don't want is someone who listens to the podcast and embraces complementary alternative medicine to feel alienated from the podcast. And I also definitely don't want individuals from the scientific community to feel like this podcast isn't credible. And so, as always, Becca and I have done our absolute best to take a fair and evidence-based approach to today's topic. And I also want to start out by acknowledging my personal position. So I am very pro-science. I've studied science for a lot of years. I have the utmost respect for research and medicine. And I'm I'm not even particularly spiritual, but I do love and practice yoga and sometimes meditation and massage, which are all forms of alternative therapy. Mm -hmm. So that's where I'm coming from. Science lover tend to be an alternative medicine skeptic. And I think there's an absolute need for a lot more research into alternative medicine. And I just wanted to disclose that before we dive in with what we've found. Becca, where would you say you fall? Well, first off, I feel like I couldn't have said that better myself. And I feel like I am somewhat similar where I am pro-science, but also into yoga, massage, those types of things. 
I found this so incredibly difficult to research because there it's such a blurry line between alternative medicine and real medicine when it comes to evidence because there is evidence for certain things like yoga with IBS and things like that. And I know you're going to get into it, so I'm not going to going to spoil it, but I'm somewhere in the middle on this spectrum. Mm-hmm. Maybe more like closer to the traditional medicine, yeah. but somewhere on that spectrum. Totally. And like that line, when there is evidence to support something, then it just becomes medicine. There was this mm-hmm. amazing quote that I actually didn't include in, I might have to look it up. I didn't include it in my script or anything, but there is no alternative medicine. There is only medicine. That was in an article by the Journal of the American Medical Association. Mm-hmm. I'll link it. Okay, the actual quote is, there is no alternative medicine. There is only scientifically proven evidence-based medicine supported by solid data or unproven medicine for which scientific evidence is lacking. And that's by Dr. Phil Fontana Rosa and Dr. George Lundberg. And it's the evidence that is the most important thing. We need to know it's safe. We need to know it's effective. And then once we know it's safe and effective, then it's medicine. It's not alternative. So that was (laughs) an unplanned rant. (laughs) So let's dive in. I'm going to start off by discussing what exactly alternative medicine is, and then I'll provide a brief overview of the different types because there are a lot of different types. Mm -hmm. So what exactly is complementary and alternative medicine? Complementary medicine usually refers to alternative therapies that might be used alongside a standard medical treatment. And this is definitely more common. And in some cases, it can be helpful when managing certain conditions. So like Becca said, maybe yoga to manage stress in a condition that's exacerbated by stress. And then alternative medicine can sometimes refer to a non-standard or alternative treatment used in place of medical treatment which has the potential to be unsafe. And so alternative medicines can also be complementary. Like you might use, for example, naturopathy alongside your conventional medicine, but something like a complementary medicine is not intended to be your sole treatment. For example, yoga. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. I thought that was kind of confusing, but there's definitely a a blurry line there, but complementary is more like something you're doing in addition to conventional medicine. And then alternative, someone might make the choice to make that their full treatment system. Mm -hmm. So there are many different types of alternative medicines and therapies, including traditional alternative medicines like Ayurveda, homeopathy, naturopathy, and traditional Chinese medicine. There are body therapies, which include acupuncture, chiropractors, and osteopaths, and massage. There are nutrition and herbal therapies, including dietary supplements and herbal medicine. There are external energy therapies like Reiki, Tai Chi, yoga, and Qigong. And there are alternative mind therapies like meditation and hypnosis. And all of these therapies fall on a spectrum of evidence. So some actually do have a growing body of research like meditation, yoga, acupuncture, and massage all have some evidence to support their efficacy. And others have very little evidence beyond personal testimonies. Mm-hmm. So lack of evidence doesn't necessarily mean it's completely ineffective, but it does mean it might not work. It might be a placebo effect. It might not be safe. And in some cases, it might even be dangerous. Now, do you touch on hypnosis at all? I actually don't. So 
I'm so curious as to what evidence does exist with mm-hmm. hypnosis because I have actually been hypnotized. You have? Uh, yeah. I was at this fair in Thunder Bay with oh one of my girlfriends and there was this hypnotist that came up on like the the fair stage and he was like performing and there was literally nobody in the crowd yet because he had just started. <laughs> and so my girlfriend was like, you have to go up and do it. And so I did because I was like, there's nobody here. Mm-hmm. And it was the strangest experience. So it worked. I don't know how to describe it because I felt like I was fully in control of what I was doing. Oh my gosh. But I did some strange things. <laughs> like what? So um, <laughs> I guess like at first the hypnotist, he was like, you have to like grab your imaginary instrument. And so everybody was like grabbing like guitars. There was like maybe six people up on stage with me and people were grabbing like guitars, like flutes, things like that. And I apparently like got up and like <laughs> got, had my arms were like really wide and I like picked up something massive. <laughs> tuba? Like and a I drum just started <laughs> playing the piano. Oh my God. That's so funny. And then at one point, he asked us like go around and milk people oh like God. they were cows. Oh and I went around. Obviously, I didn't touch anybody inappropriately. I feel like that needs to be <laughs> yeah, said. Yeah, that's a dangerous cue. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I went around pretending to milk people. And by the time I snapped out of it, there was a massive audience. And I was like somewhat humiliated, but also oh, like whatever. And I was like, what? I wouldn't have done that. I would have done that normally. So either it was some type of placebo effect where I felt like I was comfortable. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. I've never actually really looked into hypnosis, but I am curious as to what the science is behind it. I am so happy you had a story about that to share. That was so funny. (laughs) I have a friend doing hypnosis therapy right now. She has a, a really kind of debilitating fear of spiders and she's using hypnosis therapy. Oh, is it working? Last time I checked, she'd only had maybe two and she didn't really know yet. Okay. But I'll, I'll ask her. I'll report back. Okay. I checked in with my friend and she completed her therapy, her hypnosis therapy, and she said it was unsuccessful and she is still scared of spiders. So let's go through a couple types of alternative medicine in a little more detail. First up, Ayurveda. Ayurvedic medicine was developed in India over 3,000 years ago. And it's based on the belief that health depends on a delicate balance between the mind, body, and spirit. It typically focuses on promoting health and preventing disease instead of treating specific conditions, although it can also do that. Those who practice Ayurveda believe that there are five basic elements in the universe and also within each of us. So space, air, fire, water, and earth. And these combine in the body to form three doshas or life forces. Those doshas control how your body feels and how it's functioning. So there's the vata dosha, which mostly embodies space and air, the pitta dosha, which mostly embodies fire and water, and the kapha dosha, which embodies water and earth. And so as a person, we're all a blend of those three characteristics, but usually in each of us, one is stronger than the others. And that kind of makes up our personality and like our health conditions. So, okay. for example, the theory says that someone who embodies the kapha dosha would be maybe stronger, thick-boned, caring, supportive, but also maybe prone to things like depression, fatigue, and brain fog. 
kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in Ayurvedic medicine, it's believed that the balance of your doshas is linked to your health. So if one is way too strong or one is way too weak, you'll have some sort of imbalance and it will impact your health. That's interesting. It is interesting. And this is actually still used around India, for sure, alongside conventional medicine. And I think it depends on the area and like how rural um, and the state, but it is there. And, you know, people still use this. And there's a whole like nutrition philosophy related to it as well. So like, if you're feeling sluggish, you would eat more. This is not the right one, but my guess would be like something like raw fruits or something like that. Okay. And they have all these theories around like, should food be cooked? Should food be raw? Depending on your, your, your feelings, your mental state, your health state, things like that. That's really interesting. I actually don't know much about that, that type of medicine. So it's cool. It is pretty cool. The theory behind it, I think is cool. Okay. So next up, traditional Chinese medicine. This is another huge one. Thousands of years old, originating from China, of course, and it's based on the idea that a vital life force called qi, which is the best Scrabble word if you're ever looking for a Q word and you don't have a U, it's spelled <laughs> Q-I. I use it all the time. I use it all the time, too. <laughs> it's so good. It'll get 33 points. Oh, if you're on a triple letter, oh, I just love yeah. it. Triple word, get that I in there, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it surges through the body. Qi surges through the body, and an imbalance in qi can cause poor health. And this imbalance is thought to be caused by an alteration in the opposite and complementary forces called yin and yang that make up the qi. So when imagining yin energy, you can think of things like night, dark, cold, feminine, negative. Those are the describing words. And when imagining yang energy, you can think of Daylight, warmth, positivity, and male attributes. So when you balance the yin and yang of qi, you feel healthy and well. And when they're out of whack, you feel sick. And traditional Chinese medicine aims to create harmony and a healthy flow of qi. Some common therapies used in traditional Chinese medicine include acupuncture, which is very fine needles placed gently into the skin. Cupping, which I think has become more popular in recent years. So Mm -hmm. heated cups that create a suction on your skin and they're kind of used to like relieve pain, inflammation. They're like a a form of deep tissue massage. Herbs, so tinctures, teas, powders, and pills. Meditation is a big part of it. Um, Also moxibustion, which is when dried herbs are burned near your skin. Okay. I don't, I didn't look too much into that one, but that's interesting. And Tai Chi, which is an exercise with slow movements and a focus on the breath. Okay, next up, this one's pretty common in Canada and the U.S. It's naturopathy, which uses natural remedies, quote-unquote natural remedies, to help the body heal itself, like herbs, massage, acupuncture, and even nutritional and lifestyle counseling. Naturopathy was brought to the States from Germany in the 1800s, and the goal of naturopathic medicine is to treat the whole person, so mind, body, and spirit. Naturopaths kind of grab from all the different alternative medicines. So they might use herbal medicine, basic nutrition, homeopathy, traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture, and general lifestyle coaching in their practice. Naturopaths often, and this is where I take issue, call themselves naturopathic doctors, Mm -hmm. which I think is misleading because actual doctors have to undergo, physicians, I mean, MDs, (laughs) medical doctors, have to undergo three to eight years of residency and possibly fellowship training after their medical degree and their undergrad degree. And naturopaths don't. They just do three years of school 
after their undergrad degree. And I think some programs have an optional placement or practicum, but it's not mandatory. And so I think that using the word doctor is extremely misleading for the general public. So to become a naturopathic doctor, Mm -hmm. is it seen like a PhD? Is that why they can use? I would call it more of like a master's in plant medicine or something like that. Like it's, they have an undergrad and then it's a three-year program on top of that private, private program. Gotcha. Yeah, because I, I do think that maybe the issue too is just that the consumers and consumers of medicine and stuff like that, we don't really understand the difference between doctor and MD in a lot of cases. And I think some yeah. clarification just between those those terms could be really useful and helpful. For sure. Like you mean between a PhD and then an MD? Yes. Yeah. I don't even think ND, the ND, N as in November. <laughs> Um, naturopathic doctor, I don't think it should include the doctor at all. Mm -hmm. I think they could be a naturopathic practitioner. NP. Yeah, but I don't think they should have the ability to call themselves doctors, personally. Yeah, that's fair. And naturopathy has often been criticized for making false and exaggerated claims and promoting pseudoscience, which I know we're going to get into today. (laughs) And a personal story, I thought I'd share that I actually have been to a naturopath before. Before I went back to school, I was dealing with some rosacea, really. So a skin condition that I wasn't getting a lot of solutions to or even answers to from my doctors. I was like, why did this happen? (laughs) Where did this come from? How do I manage it? And then I just kept, you know, getting on courses of antibiotics to kind of calm it down. And I wasn't really happy with that treatment. And so I went to a naturopath and I would say it was not a bad experience. Like the therapeutic relationship was really nice, lots of time, lots of care and attention, but it was ultimately a a massive waste of money for me and very expensive for, I think I went only twice, but I was given a lot of expensive supplements and even a cleanse, which makes me cringe now. Like a juice cleanse? (laughs) No, it was not a juice cleanse. It was like a powder, a protein powder, basically, that was like loaded with vitamins that I was supposed to have every morning. And I could still eat whole foods and I couldn't have coffee or alcohol, which is like, oh, my nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> but I did it. It was a three-weeker. It, it was honestly fine. Like, the naturopath was really nice. But in the end, he was like, I honestly think you should just go to your doctor and get a prescription. And I was like, that was the whole point of coming here. And I was like, <laughs> okay. So I, I'm in two minds about that. It wasn't a negative experience. It was just expensive and kind of useless. But I also do appreciate that that naturopath was not opposed to being like, I think you just need some conventional medicine. Yeah. Yeah. And I honestly, I probably wouldn't go to a naturopath again. Personal experience. I mean, that's really interesting because I do think it also depends on the individual themselves. Absolutely. And it's kind of like nutritionists. I mean, naturopathy is probably a little bit more regulated, but Mm -hmm. with nutritionists, there's some good ones and then there's some very, very bad ones. Even with dietitians, I bet our, I bet many of our listeners don't know the difference between a nutritionist and a dietitian. Do you want to give us a little synopsis? <laughs> well, sure. Like a new, anyone can call themselves a nutritionist, and there are many different. Like some will call themselves like holistic nutritionists, but you don't need any education. Many nutritionists do have a one-year certificate, often from like an integrative nutrition or a holistic nutrition school, mm-hmm. versus a dietitian that has they have to have an undergrad degree in nutrition and then they have to do the 1,250-hour practicum placement in clinical nutrition and counseling. And um, it's just a very comprehensive education versus a very short, not comprehensive 
education. And then also dietitians are highly regulated, so they have to abide by different ethical. We have a whole ethical framework that we have to abide by. We have to respect Mm -hmm. privacy, patient confidentiality. Everything should be evidence-based. It has to be safe, you know, client-centered care. And that whole piece is missing from the nutritionist education. Yeah. And dietitians, like with everything you were just saying, there is a governing body who does essentially ensure dietitians are following these standards of practice. Yeah. Yeah. Love dietitians. (laughs) Yeah. Love dietitians too. (laughs) Biased opinion, but whatever. (laughs) I know. But that's the thing. Okay. And you were just touching on it. We're already going on tangents. I feel like this episode is going to be prone to tangents. But (laughs) by saying this, that doesn't mean all nutritionists are bad. It doesn't mean that. At all. It's just a difference in education, a difference in qualifications, which can impact the quality of care and probably often does impact the quality of care. But even within, you know, there are probably dietitians out there that aren't a good match for you or aren't a good match for me. Just like there are doctors that aren't you know, my kind of doctor versus I love most doctors. Mm -hmm. You know, it kind of depends on the person, the approach that they take. No, of course. I think that's a really good point. Okay, let's move on. Homeopathy. (laughs) Homeopathy (laughs) is based on the belief that the body can cure itself. It was developed in the late 1700s in Germany. It's more common in European countries. I actually feel like I've never heard of it really in Canada. I don't hear that homeopathy tossed around very much here. And a basic belief behind homeopathy is that like cures like. So something that brings on symptoms in a healthy person would theoretically treat an illness with the same symptoms in another person. So for example, red onion makes your eyes water in a healthy person. So it would be used in homeopathy to remedy people with allergies. Yeah, I know. I didn't do too much research into it. And it's just not really popular over here, in my opinion. And homeopaths often weaken these ingredients, so like whatever's in the red onion, by adding water and making a healing essence. And that would be used as the treatment. And that's another thing with alternative medicine is that often the mechanism is missing. So the plausible explanation, the mechanism, the research, or even the (laughs) theory is usually not very sound. Okay. Reiki is another one. Reiki is a Japanese energy healing technique used as a way to manage symptoms and improve well-being. And during a Reiki session, the practitioner might place their hands either directly on the patient or just above them to bring about a healing energy. And the belief is that the practitioner is able to stimulate your body's natural healing abilities. I've never had Reiki done before, but I think it would, I'd just be like, give me a massage. Yeah, I know. Just touch me. I know. Have you ever had like someone like, I feel like it would feel like someone staring at the back of your neck and you're just like, what the heck? Go away. Okay. Massage. In massage therapy, and I know you love massage therapy. I do Mm -hmm. too. A trained massage therapist applies pressure to the muscles and other soft tissues to help heal underlying conditions. And there are more than 80 different forms of massage therapy, including shiatsu, Swedish pressure point and deep tissue massage. And massage is usually intended to decrease pain and relax muscles. And this technique has been used for thousands of years and has been mentioned in ancient texts from Egypt, Rome, China, Greece, India, and Japan. Very cool. And so a lot of things like, you know, when you think of going for a massage or like going to a yoga class and and a lot of alternative therapies and medicines actually create this kind of like warm, fuzzy, nice, cozy taken care of feeling. Yeah. And that could be part of the 
whole experience. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't mean it's necessarily scientifically effective. Mm -hmm. uh, and the research doesn't hold up for the vast majority of it. But the experience can be therapeutic, almost like how going for lunch with friends can be therapeutic, having a nice phone call, writing a letter. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like these nice experiences can be pampering. Yeah. It's wellness. You're taking care of yourself and that mm -hmm. obviously gives you a good feeling. Yeah. Manicure. Okay. So like I was saying, the thing about most alternative medicines and therapies is that there's actually very little evidence. So for the most part, they have not been evaluated using rigorous scientific tests, and the few that have been done are often poorly designed and increasingly industry-funded by supplement companies that have, like, this huge stake in alternative medical treatments, particularly naturopathy, but, like, dietary supplements, herbal supplements, things like that are starting to fund more research. And the lack of high-quality evidence means that there are no clinical practice guidelines for these practitioners, and so the evidence base quote-unquote, evidence base for alternative therapies relies on anecdotes, beliefs, theories, personal testimonials, and even just, like, opinions, which we know from our last episode on nutrition research are not quality forms of research or even considered research. And considering that nearly 80% of Canadians will use some form of complementary or alternative medicine at least once in their lifetime, the lack of compelling evidence is troubling and could even be dangerous. And I know 80% sounds like a lot. I was surprised when I saw that. But keep in mind that could mean doing yoga to manage stress. That could mean getting a massage for back pain. And then on the other end of the spectrum, that could mean, you know, somebody completely rejecting conventional medicine and trying to treat their cancer with, you know, naturopathy or something, which is that has been done and people have died doing that. And it is completely, in my opinion, completely unethical for a naturopath to claim that they can be an exclusive treatment for cancer. And I don't think that's common either. But no, I it would does actually happen. be, I would be curious to know because there's such a difference between complementary mm -hmm. and alternative yes. medicine. I would yeah. be interested just to know even what that percentage would be for the alternative medicine, if that even existed. It might not because it would be hard to kind of differentiate unless I asked a specific question. Yeah, it would be hard to quantify. But it would be interesting to know like how many, like, Alternative medicine, I think, I would guess that the majority of the time, that does not mean a rejection of conventional medicine. Mm -hmm. It's it's more of a blend, like using a little bit of both. And natu like certain naturopathic treatments, like acupuncture, for example, can help with nausea during chemotherapy and things like that. So it could be a viable complementary medicine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the spectrum is huge, like we were saying. And like something that is also concerning is that only about 40% of people that use an alternative medicine will actually tell their physician about it. And mm. that is worrisome because there could be interactions between drugs and supplements. So if you do use an alternative therapy, please tell your doctor. So now I'm going to tell you about a couple of alternative therapies that have been shown to be somewhat effective. So first, acupuncture has been shown to be effective in flipping a breech baby and managing some mild pain and nausea. Art or music therapy can help improve quality of life. A Chinese herbal medicine formulation has been shown to help ease symptoms of IBS. Yoga, yoga-based interventions have been shown to be effective for stress management and improving strength and balance. Massage therapy can help decrease stress, anxiety, depression, and pain. 
prayer and spirituality can help deal with the emotional effects of managing a chronic disease. And there are some herbal remedies that have some evidence, like using St. John's wort uh, for a mild anxiety and depression. But results are often small enough that they could be attributed to a placebo effect. So it's, it's still a little bit unclear, and concerns still exist over safety and drug interactions. And a lot of people kind of assume that engaging in alternative medicine is kind of like a a zero-sum game. I don't actually know if I'm using that phrase right. But like, <laughs> it's almost like a why not, what's the risk? There is no risk. So why not try this? Because the worst that could happen is nothing. And the best that could happen is that it works for me. Right. And that's not necessarily the case. There are actual, you know, drug interactions and safety concerns about uh, using things that don't have a lot of evidence. So overall, while alternative health can seem interesting and enticing and definitely trendy to a lot of consumers, there is really not a lot of evidence that this stuff works, especially when compared to conventional medicine, which is highly regulated and based on rigorous evidence to prove that it is safe and effective. And yet, Canadians in the land of mostly free healthcare are spending nearly $9 billion a year on conventional and alternative medicines. And with that, I'm going to pass the torch to Becca to tell us all about today's scandalous story and some of the reasons why people are drawn to alternative medicine, because there are some real important reasons that people are drawn to try something different. Yes, there really, really are. And it's actually kind of wild. I'm excited to get into it because I, as I said, I did have quite a difficult time putting this story together because there mm -hmm. are so many issues within the wellness industry and in their connections to things like gender disparities in healthcare. And mm -hmm. I found it difficult to like fit it all into one episode. And I'm sure you felt the same way because even your intro, I feel yeah. like you crammed a lot into <laughs> a couple pages there. There were so many wormholes with this topic. It was out of control. And there's so many different thought pieces and uh, different opinion pieces from so many different professionals on both ends of the spectrum that it was really a lot for me to sort through. So honestly, we probably missed something, but I truly did my best. <laughs> I'm sure you, you did, did too. You did an amazing job. <laughs> the only thing you missed was hypnosis. hypnosis. <laughs> You're right. And now I'm super curious. <laughs> but what I'm going to be discussing mainly today is going to be wellness specifically, mm -hmm. and the impact of celebrity endorsements on things like public health, uh, as well as like one theory as to why females are more likely to buy into the wellness culture than males. And of course, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the cases against the brand Goop. I'm so excited. This is going to be awesome. I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> Before we do get into this, have you ever purchased anything from, from Goop? I haven't. Tends to be pretty pricey. I've yep. heard rave reviews about the Goop sunscreen and they sell it at Sephora. So I've thought about that a couple times, but I have not purchased <laughs> anything. Have you? No, I haven't. And it's funny that you mentioned the sunscreen. I was going to mention this later, but I'll just mention it now. <laughs> there was just a lot of drama within dermatologists, like just oh. within the last, I want to say a couple of weeks or so. Because Gwyneth Paltrow came out saying that there's too many chemicals in oh conventional God. sunscreen. And so all these dermatologists like had to go and make statements to news like saying sites and safe. things like that saying that it is safe. Everything is a chemical. Yes. Oh my God. I stopped demonizing the word chemical. 
We love chemicals. <laughs> and they're everywhere around us. Yeah. But yeah, so that was just a little bit dramatic to read about. But you are also right. It's tremendously expensive. I spent some time mm-hmm. on the Goop website for the first time in my life <laughs> this past <laughs> week. And one of the most outrageous products I found was like a black bodysuit that mm-hmm. cost $1,000. Oh my God. Wait, like just a like a bathing suit bodysuit? Like yep. with no, oh my gosh, what's it made out of? I didn't look into that, but it would have to be gold for me to buy it. <laughs> yeah, that's ridiculous. You wear it yes. under things. It's not even your main outfit. <laughs> I know. And I have like a, like kind of like a brief, I guess you could call it a story, but Goop actually did a brand collaboration with CB2. Mm-hmm. And last year, when we first moved into this house, we were at CB2 trying to like find some furniture. Mm-hmm. And this woman came up to me and she was like, oh, we have some Goop products in the back if you want. But we had to take them off the floor because there were so many complaints. <laughs> <gasps> about what? The price? Just about the products themselves. I don't know if it was the price in general or what, but I or was like, no, I don't, I don't need to see this. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It could I'm have just so been curious. the association with Goop, too. Cool. So many complaints. Yeah. Like people, oh, my gosh, I'm so curious. People really have it out for this brand. And and yet people love it. Yeah. Like, and yet it's thriving. I don't know, actually. I I haven't talked to a single person that's like, I just love Goop. I haven't come across that. But it seems to be a thriving brand. So those people exist. And I'll tell you more about them. So some of the sources that I used include a paper written by Josephine Rivera called How History Shaped Women's Healthcare, Hmm. episodes of the podcast Still Processing, and Wait, There's More, another article by Andrea Becker called Goop, She Did It Again, and some, (laughs) 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 as well as some other studies and articles that you can, of course, find on our website at dietheticsafterdark.com. Okay, let's get into this. So who is the lady of the hour? Gwyneth Paltrow. She was born in Los Angeles in 1972, making her 48 years old, which is crazy because (laughs) I feel like she looks younger than me. She looks fantastic. (laughs) She looks amazing. Uh, So her father was the director and producer, Bruce Paltrow, and her mother is the famous actress, Blythe Danner. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I have always loved Gwyneth Paltrow's movies, and Mm -hmm. Sliding Doors was one of my favorites when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. But according to IMDb, her acting debut was in 1989 for a movie called High. She has since starred in a ton of notable flicks like Shakespeare in Love, The Royal Tenenbaums, Iron Man, and, of course, the associated Avengers movies. Mm -hmm. And she's also authored several cookbooks. She was Previously married to Chris Martin from Coldplay, with whom she had two children, so Apple and Moses. And she's now married to Brad Felchuk, who is a TV writer, producer, and director. And he's best known for one show that he co-created called Glee. Oh, I didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah. So she was like really born and bred into the entertainment industry. So I feel like she really had no choice but to join it on it. Yeah. To, I mean, with parents like Blythe Danner and Bruce Paltrow, you're kind of set if you want to try it out. Definitely. Also, her and Chris Martin were like leaders. They were like the first celebrity couple, I think, to use the term co-parenting and like bring co-parenting into the mainstream. Yeah. Did you know that? Like it was kind of trendsetting at the time, but I thought it was really awesome that they like made this public choice to be friends and co-parents. No, I didn't know that beforehand, but I did come across it when I was researching it, which is really neat. I remember there was also a lot of 
I don't want to say drama, but there was a lot of newspaper headlines about Apple's name when she was first yes, born. Yes, <laughs> I do remember that too. Which is so silly because it's really it's cute name. It's kind of cute. Yeah. Apple. <laughs> um, so Gwyneth has had quite a bit of tabloid drama and scandal throughout her life. And she was actually a critical source in the Harvey Weinstein case. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, I actually didn't. So she worked with him multiple times, but later came forward with many accounts of sexual harassment. Wow. How did I miss that? So she was a little bit more quiet about it, but some Mm. sources came forward saying that there was like a altercation between Brad Pitt, who she was dating at the time, and Harvey Weinstein because something had happened. There weren't many details about it, but I'll leave it at that. Okay. Wow. Mm -hmm. So in 2008, she founded the wellness and lifestyle brand Goop. So the name came from her nickname, which is GP, which she added two O's to and got Goop. (laughs) (laughs) She was talking to some like business savvy person who said that most businesses have two O's in them, like successful businesses. So that's like where the name came from. What's one other business that is successful? Oh, Google. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Go ahead. Continue on. I was like, I don't Um, think that's true. (laughs) (laughs) It started out as a weekly newsletter that included new age advice and food or diet tips. So each email was signed off with this tagline that stated, nourish the inner aspect. But later, the brand expanded to this entire online empire that now includes wellness and sexual health products, fashion, wellness summits, a podcast, a magazine and publishing partnership, a docu-series, and now a cruise. A cruise. I had no idea. The Goop Cruise? (laughs) The Goop Cruise. Oh my gosh, it probably costs so much money. I was looking into it and I can't say this for certain, but I think it was only $700 a day, which is still a lot of money. But for the Goop Cruise, I would have thought it would be more. I mean, it's less than a bodysuit a day. That's true. What a steal. Aside from its success, Goop is one of the most scandalous brands in the wellness space. So most of the backlash it faces is because of some of its absurd prices and its harmful claims based in pseudoscience. And pseudoscience is essentially when statements or practices claim to be scientific but are not compatible with the scientific method. So there's no sound evidence to back them. And alternative therapies, which Sarah was discussing, are often based on this type of science or lack thereof. And whether or not you like Gwyneth Paltrow as an actress or business owner, this is a huge issue. Mm -hmm. So not only does it spread misinformation, but in the case of Goop, it also takes advantage of people seeking wellness or even those who are desperate for things like fertility. Yeah. And in some cases, what she has done, and maybe not she, but Goop has done, has been illegal, which I will get into. Oh, wow. Okay. But before I do, let's talk about wellness. What the heck is wellness? So it's the act of practicing healthy habits on a daily basis to attain better physical and mental health outcomes so Mm. that instead of just surviving, you're thriving. So it's things like exercise, being social, having good nutrition and adequate sleep. And I really like this definition because nowhere in it does it state that you have to purchase certain items to achieve wellness other than maybe like food. But companies like Goop have led us to believe that optimal wellness has a price tag. And in one of the podcasts that I did listen to in my research, they mentioned that wellness now means reaching beyond what we have, like achieving beyond our means. And large corporations and celebrity promotion have fed into this cycle, which makes us think that this wellness ideal really isn't attainable. 
And it's something that you should continue to keep striving for. Wow. That's so true. Mm-hmm. It's not about being like content and happy and making the best of what you have. It's like constantly reaching for the next thing. Yeah. Constantly trying to be even more well than you are, even if you are already well. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah, scandalous already, eh? <laughs> so Group really is a business to consumer business model that's disguised more as a wellness hub. And Gwyneth Paltrow is not the first person to do this. So celebrities like Tom Brady and Jessica Elba also mm-hmm. have brands who that push this idealist lifestyle. And Chrissy Teigen now. And Chrissy Teigen. I well, she has Chrissy that Teigen. new, I do too. Um, but just like same as Jessica Alba with the Honest Company, like the quote unquote clean cleaning products. Oh yeah, didn't she do that one with Chris Jenner? <laughs> yes, yeah. Yes. I actually can't remember the name of it right now, but it's called Safely. No further comments yeah, no on that one. No further comments either. <laughs> Love Chrissy Teigen. <laughs> so an even more controversial example is Oprah Winfrey, mm-hmm. who is so beloved by the world, me included. Me too. But she initially perpetuated this type of business model before consumers were even aware of its implications. So when you think about it, she did bring us Dr. Phil and Dr. Oz, who are two very problematic figures to the health and wellness world. And she's also used her platform to sell products and it sometimes to evoke panic when it came to certain topics like mad cow disease. So in 1996, she and an activist guest said that mad cow disease could make AIDS look like a common cold. Wow. And the next day, beef prices crashed. So she's clearly had this massive impact on people's buying decisions since the beginning. Okay, she got, there was a huge lawsuit about that. Maybe we should cover that one day. Ooh, jot that down. Yeah, mental note. (laughs) (laughs) But my question for you, Sarah, is why do we elevate Oprah and her platform, but not Gwyneth's at the same degree? Hmm. I just think Gwyneth's is a little more obvious, like with the unattainable prices, like it's not for everyone. It's for the Mm -hmm. elite. And it's, it's more obvious pseudoscience. Do you know what I mean? Whereas Oprah's comes in like conversational, you know, here's my opinion. And maybe it has this like terrible, this, these not terrible, well, yes, terrible impacts, but unintended impacts. Mm -hmm. Whereas Gwyneth is like actively promoting this stuff as healing, increasing fertility, as like improving your life and selling it and making a direct profit. No, that's an amazing point. Really good point. In my research, there was actually this reporter, uh, her name is Taffy Ackner, and she claimed to have an algorithm for why this occurs. So she claims that it has something to do with where you come from and how much visible suffering you've experienced. And she makes like a lot of great points. She actually doesn't touch on what you just said there. So I'm really glad you brought that up. But she says that Gwyneth comes from immense white privilege, whereas Mm -hmm. Oprah is a self-made successful black woman. And then Gwyneth tends to try to keep most drama from her private life out of the public eye and really only reveals things that work for her. So like her skincare routine and diets that she's on. Whereas Oprah, she would literally bear her soul to the world every week on her show. And now she does so on her podcast as well. That is, I think that's a great point. Absolutely. (laughs) Even how I mentioned co-parenting, like divorce is traumatizing for most people involved. It's a really hard life experience and one of the most stressful actually. And she was like, no, it's fine. We're (laughs) co-parents. Yeah. 
And it's like, no, that's a really tough thing for a family. Yeah. So vulnerability. Yeah. The lack of vulnerability. It's like the constant highlight reel. It's like her brand is built on like the highlight reel of Instagram. That's so true. Yeah. That's Mm. a great example. But yeah. So in a lot of ways, their messages and values are very similar. So they go against the norm and they make you question conventional ways of doing things, which is not always bad until it is. Yeah, I know. (laughs) But something has led us to this point. And there are so many consumers who buy into this alternative thinking or science, as Sarah was saying. And it's now made Goop almost a quarter billion dollar business. Wow. And one theory is that it stems from the mistrust of traditional healthcare, and in this case, specifically among women. And I'm going to add just like a brief trigger warning here as I am going to be discussing fertility and loss. So through the next couple minutes, if you need, you can feel free to skip ahead. But let's talk a little bit now about the history of healthcare and how it's shaped female perceptions of healthcare and medicine today. So before the time of Christ, many cultures worshipped female goddesses that encompassed virtues like motherhood, beauty, and creativity. But as history progressed, there was a more patriarchal shift in thinking, where men were believed to know more about the female body than females themselves. Childbirth was already incredibly dangerous, with many women dying during it. And for ancient Greeks and other civilizations, it was also seen as being impure. So even touching a woman who was giving birth led to what they deemed being unclean or having unclean hands. Oh, my God. I know. Guys, do you know how you got on this earth? Huge eye roll. (sighs) If women giving birth are unclean or impure, we all are. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> in ancient Rome, the C-section or cesarean section began picking up traction. It was once believed that the name came from the birth of Julius Caesar, which likely isn't true since the mother survived, so his mom survived during that. Uh, but many others believe that it came from the Caesar-era law that stated that pregnant women who died in Rome couldn't be buried unless their fetus was removed. So the procedure was initially performed to remove stillborn children. Oh, I know. I'm sorry. I know this is really tough. It then began being used to save live infants from their dying mothers. Then in the 1800s, doctors began using it more on mothers who were in distress when giving birth. But the methods of conducting the procedure weren't always standardized. And some doctors thought that stitching up the uterus would lead to infection. So a lot of the times they just wouldn't stitch it up. And because of this, many more women died in childbirth due to blood loss, but also because of infections and sanitation practices weren't what they are today. So Mm. this whole time period was kind of a bit of a mess. Wow. Midwives and healers who continued to practice ancient medicine at this time were often labeled witches, ultimately limiting the power females had in the healthcare system. It was thought that anything a doctor couldn't heal was a result of sorcery. And of course, at this time, doctors were pretty much exclusively male. Yeah. Wow. Like, if I can't, if I can't heal it, it's sorcery. Yeah. Witchcraft. Uh, self-inflated sense of power. <laughs> so later in the 1800s and the early 1900s, gynecologists kind of became the new male midwives, except they would perform hysterectomies, 
ovarectomies and castrations to cure female insanity, which was mainly when females wouldn't comply with the demands of their fathers or husbands. Oh my gosh. I know. It's very Handmaid's Tale. Mm-hmm. And it's not that far in, in the past. Mm-mm. No, it's not. I feel like midwives are only starting to reemerge in, in popularity. It's true. And midwives are like were the original childbirth companions. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. So sexual health education at this time was only taught in universities, which females weren't allowed to attend. So they were really left in the dark about their own bodies. And in the early 1900s, nursing did become a profession, but nurses were still limited to the education and activities laid out by doctors. And it was even thought that too much development of the brain would atrophy the uterus. Come on. Which is clearly <laughs> the top priority organ in a woman. Yeah. That's sarcasm. Wow. Mm-hmm. So even when proper treatment was given, there were a lot of discrepancies based on status with females of a lower socioeconomic status receiving less quality care. And I should mention that to this day, there are still laws and protests against women having rights over their own bodies. Mm-hmm. In addition to this, very little research has historically been done on females. So clinical trials and other research has predominantly been done on male subjects. For instance, with things like heart disease, symptoms present themselves differently in females versus males. But since a lot of the evidence we have is on males, females tend to be diagnosed a little bit later than males, which clearly has a slew of consequences. So there have been some strides forward in that the FDA now requires all drug manufacturers to display evidence of safety for all sexes and ages. And in 2016, females accounted for about half of clinical trial participants for trials funded by the U.S. National Institutes of Health. Mm. So things are getting better. Things are getting better, but it feels like so late in the development of science Mm -hmm. for female health to be getting the attention that it deserves, like 50%. (laughs) I agree. It is a bit wild. And reading through this research, it did make me quite angry. Yeah, for sure. I used Mm -hmm. to, this is like going to be a quick tangent, but I really wanted to be a midwife before I decided to come back to school to study nutrition. So much. So a witch. Yeah, I really wanted to be a witch. And just reading about like the medicalization of the birth experience and how like birth, which should be this beautiful celebrated experience, was turned into this like completely medical. The woman has no control. They'll give her drugs, put her out and just like wake her up later when the baby's been born. Yeah. And then, of course, the famous extra stitch. Yeah, oh my God, don't even get me started. Husbands would ask for and doctors would do. Like there's so much, like all of the power was taken from women in the birth experience. And I'm happy to see that it's changing. Yeah. Here. Yeah, I don't know. It's a lot. Yeah. I mean, females have had a really tough go when it comes to healthcare history. Yeah, and more so for women of color. Yep. All right. Definitely. So um, most individuals who turn to alternative medicine are female. So I found one stat. It was from 2012. I couldn't find anything more recent, but they say that it's about 60%. Actually, like I feel like it would be more now. Mm-hmm. I would I'm guess not... that too. Yeah. But it does make sense why females are more likely to seek out this alternative type of treatment. The mistrust does exist and alternative medicine may offer a different yet less science-based perspective as well as some comfort. 
So healthcare practitioners in a hospital setting may be overworked, especially in this era of COVID-19. And alternative medicine may offer more structured therapeutic relationships since clients often pay for the hour of treatment. With all this being said, Goop does offer alternative methods and encourages sexual liberalization, which is something we don't often see promoted in healthcare for females. But it also leverages the mistrust in traditional medicine to sell products. And Goop has been known to take the foundations of cultural practices, whitewash them a bit, and rebrand them to make them seem groundbreaking. And as I mentioned, many Goop products and claims are not based on evidence, but they use more sciencey terms like, like the microbiome or the Goop lab, which makes you think that evidence was involved. So Gwyneth herself has been criticized for using terms like clean eating or detox, and she even considers things like pasta a cheat meal, yet she aligns herself with notable chefs and has pasta meals posted on her website. So it's a little bit contradictory. And mm -hmm. she also has a tendency to create fear around like those certain chemicals or toxins, like we were talking about the, the sunscreen earlier. Mm. So in 2017... Truth in Advertising, which is like an advertising watchdog group, they called on California consumer protection regulators to investigate Goop's marketing claims, stating that they had found over 50 instances of unsubstantiated and therefore deceptive death and disease treatment claims. Wow. These varied from crystals that can treat female re reproductive issues and stickers that can reduce inflammation to a consumable essence blend that prevents shame spirals and depression. Oh, <laughs> prevents shame spirals. Yeah, that was like word for word the, the quote that was, I think, on their website or on the packaging or something like that. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> In 2018, the company agreed to comply to a court order that it would stop publishing health claims that don't have FDA approval. But according mm. to the Truth in Advertising Organization, it continues to violate this order. And I should clarify that making claims like this with or without a court order are illegal. They've just been caught and they continue to get caught. So oh. I could spend the rest of this episode naming off the scandals because there would be enough to fill like an hour or two. But instead, I'm just going to tell you about a couple instances where Goop went a little bit too far. So, Sarah, have you heard about the jade eggs? I have heard about the jade eggs. I don't know too much about them, but I know you put them in your vagina. That is that's true. It. And I'm going to tell you <laughs> more about them because that's basically that sums it up. <laughs> so, yeah, we do know that Goop promotes sexual health. It's all great. And the website sells these jade eggs, which are sometimes also referred to as yoni eggs. So the intention with the jade eggs is for the woman to place them inside of her vagina like a tampon and to essentially do Kegels with them in there, but then keep it in there hmm. for longer periods of time. And they claim that this, this practice was done by Chinese royalty and that it could intensify your feminine energy improve your sex life, strengthen your pelvic floor, and balance your hormones during your menstrual cycle. Hmm. However, not a single one of these claims could be backed by science, except maybe intensifying your feminine energy, because I don't even know how you would measure that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah what's the measure? <laughs> so a lawsuit was filed against Goop, and they settled for $145,000. 
They also had to refund anyone who purchased these eggs while the false claims were advertised, so from January to August of 2017. And then they also had to add a disclaimer to an article that talked about the product that states, this article is not nor is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and should never be relied upon for specific medical advice. Hmm. Okay. Well, progress. Yeah, it's transparent, but... In my honest opinion, they should just change Stop the contents them. of the article. Yeah. yeah. And also there's, I read in my research that it is this practice, jade eggs, was actually not used in traditional Chinese medicine. One paper I read did say that Goop was claiming it was used in traditional Chinese medicine, and that was in fact not true. So I found conflicting messaging, and I think it might mm. be a little bit difficult to do a fact check yeah. on this because I read some sources that said that the background of these jade eggs is very unclear. Mm. And then others that did say that even the yoni eggs, which is like the, I guess, generic name for jade eggs, Mm -hmm. were used in Chinese medicine. So I'm not 100% sure on that. Okay, But either way, they're still taking something that potentially could be from another culture. Yeah. Rebranding it and selling it for $84. Oh, $84. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and they still sell them if you're interested. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, medical professionals are like strongly against using these too. So the claim that it strengthens your pelvic floor, which like I feel like that claim makes the most sense to me. Kegels alone would strengthen your pelvic floor with or yes. without a jade egg. Exactly. But what you essentially do when you put them in there is you're putting weight on that that right. pelvic floor area for extended periods of time. Mm-hmm. And so one doctor said it's about the equivalent of doing a bicep curl and just remaining in that curled position for an extended period of time. Mm. That's interesting. And you know what I've also heard is that Kegels and too much strengthening in the pelvic floor is actually a not so great thing pre-childbirth. Hmm. Why? Yeah. Because it can increase your risk of tears. Oh, if you like, have a too defined pelvic floor, like you want it to be able to soften and expand appropriately. That checks out. Interesting. <laughs> the materials that these eggs are made of is also very porous, meaning that it has pores and can more easily trap bacteria. So overall, experts say that you are just better off doing Kegels, maybe post-birth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And the last non-food-related example that I'm going to give you is that of Body Vibe stickers. So Goop promoted these products, which are stickers that cost between $60 and $120 a pack. And they claimed that they ease anxiety, pain, hangovers, improve strength, endurance, skin, sleep, and focus. <laughs> and if that were to be true, I can't believe that they're only charging $60. <laughs> totally. They sound amazing. If there was a sticker that I could put on and would do all those things, and it was proven to be true, I would buy those stickers. 100%. And so in the article that Goop wrote promoting these stickers, they also claimed that they were made up of the same conductive carbon material that is used to line NASA spacesuits. The only issue here is that NASA came forward saying that they don't have a conductive carbon material. (laughs) Okay, where are they getting? Who is writing their copy? So this was, I think, taken from the brand itself. So it wasn't a Goop product. It was a product that Goop was selling on their website. Okay. Or maybe not even selling, but they were promoting on their website. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Yes. So in the inventor of the the product itself, so not the sticker company, but whoever invented the product that was apparently made of this carbon material, they claimed that the research done on this product is confidential. Hmm. So we can't see the research, so we don't really know of course. what it is, which is very <laughs> convenient. <laughs> but Shin Lee, who's a PhD in biological sciences, so she stated that it's possible that the stickers do produce somewhat of a placebo effect if individuals wearing them believe that these things are going to happen. Mm-hmm. But regardless, Goop and Body Vibes were required to take down these false statements. Well, that's good. The placebo effect is a common reason that these things work because the placebo yeah. effect is actually a small effect. For sure. And I was feeling a little bit nauseous the other night and I took a gravel, which also makes me very sleepy, mm-hmm. but not until like an hour after I take it. But the moment I took the gravel, I like went and laid down and was like, all right, it's bedtime. Ooh. So it's like your own little placebo. 100%. Because you know, it probably didn't affect you that quickly, but you were like, I know what's coming. I, yeah. I'm anticipating this. And so I'm feeling it sooner. Yep. Mm. Every time I take gravel, I'm out like a light. <laughs> yeah. And the placebo effect, like it's measurable. It does happen. It just doesn't mean it's a significant, clinically significant effect. Correlation, causation. Yeah. Yeah. So lastly, let's touch on some recent food-related drama because I feel like that's why a lot of people tune into this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and I should state that Goop does have a registered dietitian on staff who works in product development. But I do think that they need some help in both their decision-making and in their marketing department. So if they're listening, hire on some more RDs. (laughs) (laughs) So earlier this year, Paltrow announced her most recent project, which is Goop Press, which will sell health literature. And her first book is one she's working on with her friend and functional medicine practitioner, Will Cole, called Intuitive Fasting. So right off the bat, what do you think about when you hear the term intuitive fasting? I think it's an oxymoron because there's nothing intuitive about restricting. Yeah. Period. Period. Great point. Awesome. And I mean, to that point, there has been a lot of controversy with this book in the world of dietetics and just Mm -hmm. everywhere. First off, I just wanted to start by saying that Will Cole or... Dr. Will Cole is a self-proclaimed functional medicine expert. So he has received a certification in functional medicine from the Institute for Functional Medicine. And I looked this up and there are six education modules in this certification program. And those are GI, environmental health, immune, hormone, cardiometabolic, and bioenergetics. So there's nothing nutrition specific in this program. And then I also wanted to mention that he got the the doctor in his title because he's a chiropractor. That's bullshit. Talking, if, agreed. Um, <laughs> so talking about nutrition is kind of out of his scope of practice, or it should be. Mm-hmm. But he and Paltrow wrote this book together, and they've been promoting it since the beginning of this year. Wow. And there's a lot of issues, as I said, with its release. So like, first off, they are promoting a diet that involves limiting food and nutrients during a global pandemic where illness is like already very prevalent. So Mm -hmm. poor timing, very poor timing. It also takes intuitive eating language, which is like an eating style or lifestyle method used by some healthcare practitioners to even treat eating disorders. And intuitive fasting is promoting it as more of a diet, which could clearly lead to more disordered eating patterns for some individuals. 
And intuitive eating is intended to promote that healthy attitude towards food and body image more long-term. But intuitive fasting is a four-week program that Gwyneth starts with a six-day bone broth cleanse. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's really bad. (laughs) I didn't realize it started with a six-day bone broth cleanse. So I haven't read the book, but that's how Gwyneth starts it. So I don't know if there's like alternative... I mean, it's supposed to be intuitive, right? So it maybe starts with like a liquid cleanse or something of your choice, but that's how Gwyneth starts it. And intuitive eating is all about like responding to your body cues and honoring what your body needs. Mm -hmm. What's intuitive if you're starting with a cleanse? Nothing. It's a sham. Oh my gosh. Okay. (laughs) But they do claim. It's very frustrating. And they do claim that it is anti-diet, but I feel like anything that's not sustainable beyond four weeks is like a typical diet. Absolutely. You can't just label a diet anti-diet and make it so. Yes. But there is very, very little that's known about the psychological and physical effects of this specific diet on humans. So mm-hmm. fasting intuitively, whatever that means. Yep. So despite its criticisms and potential harms, it continues to be promoted by Goop and basically all online bookstores. So like, what can we do to avoid manipulation or deceptive claims laid out by unqualified brands? So if you're still interested in trying alternative medicine, here are a few things that you can look out for. So you can be suspicious of any treatment that says it will cure difficult-to-treat diseases, so things like cancer, chronic fatigue, or IBS. Uh, Just be suspicious of treatments that claim to offer benefits with no side effects at all. So even herbs and vitamins have potential side effects. So if the treatment is marked as having no side effects, it likely hasn't been studied in clinical trials where side effects would be seen. Mm -hmm. So be suspicious of practitioners who attack the medical or scientific community or who tell you not to use standard or traditional medical treatment. And I think even the other way around, like for us who were entering more of like a medical type field, evidence-based field, I wouldn't even bash alternative medicine because I do know that it does bring positive effects in some people. Mm -hmm. So I just don't think that Yeah. I just think you should be wary if somebody is bashing something that goes against what their values are. Fully bashing. Yeah. Because, yeah, totally. You're right. And I I would never recommend that someone, I would never recommend that someone completely uses alternative medicine. Mm -hmm. But I think you can pick and choose what works for you. For example, if you find yoga helps you manage your stress, that is something that should be used by you and you enjoy it, you know? But I don't think, I don't like when people jump into alternative medicine and reject conventional medicine. For sure. Okay. (laughs) I've said my piece. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. A couple other things to watch out for. So be aware of terms like scientific breakthrough, miracle cure, secret ingredient, things like that, or any conflicts of interest. So if a celebrity is praising far-fetched effects of a product, are they also selling that product? Because that could be a big one. Can they make money off that product? Mm -hmm. And lastly, beware of personal stories that claim amazing results, but provide no actual evidence or plausible mechanism. So just remember that testimonials are not science. Mm -hmm. And they can be really convincing. They absolutely can be. When you are suffering with a condition that's not well understood, like PCOS or lupus or even rosacea or acne, Those Mm -hmm. personal testimonies can be very comforting and like 
they can really draw you in because someone has been where you are and they know how stressful and challenging it is, but it just, it doesn't mean that what worked for them will also work for you. Good point. But yeah, with all of that being said, the take-home message here is, isn't to like not use alternative therapies, but just to be cautious if you do use them. And I think as future healthcare professionals, it's actually really important for like you and I, for instance, to follow along with what Goop is doing. There's clearly demand for these products and this way of thinking, and we should be paying attention. And I think it would almost be careless for us to dismiss Goop or its mission, even if some of the claims might be untrue or out of touch. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think we we have a, almost a duty to stay in touch to know where consumer demand is and know why consumers are demanding more alternative medicines. Huh. Okay. That was awesome. That was, I feel like, first of all, you put that together really well. And I think we could have gone on to like another hour worth of tangents. Yeah. We didn't even talk about vagina candles. <laughs> the vagina candle, the food stamp situation. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot more goop scandals. I encourage you to do a Google search. <laughs> <laughs> but even just the, like, chatting about the ethical components of alternative medicine and the flaws in conventional medicine. Like mm -hmm. doctors are spread so thin. They have about 15 minutes on average with a patient before they have to go into the next patient. And that's yeah. not because doctors are mean or they don't want to spend time. It's just they're spread too thin in our healthcare system. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, a lot of room for discussion there. This episode could have been days. days. If we really wanted it to be. <laughs> Yeah, we'll let you know when our movie comes out. <laughs> Three-hour documentary. Um, okay, Becca, to get you ready for our next Big Dad episode, I want to know if you've ever had food poisoning. Yes. Do you have a good story? I guess. I don't know if it's a good story. I feel like no <laughs> food poisoning story is really good because you're kind of just out of commission for a while. Yeah. Okay, I have a story. It's coming to me now. Um, <laughs> so I was in... Portugal with Dan. This was like 2017, 2018. We did like a Spain and Portugal trip. And I was in Lisbon and I'm convinced that it was this peach that I ate. I think I had like botulism or something, but I can't oh, no. be sure. But I ate this peach. Everything else Dan and I had had like similar things. We were sharing our food, except this peach that I got at a convenience store, wiped on my pants and ate because mm -hmm. <laughs> went in Lisbon. Traveling. <laughs> yeah. And I got so sick. Oh no. I was out for like, I want to say it was almost a week. It was probably like five days of our uh -oh. trip. Oh, that's such out, a bummer. <laughs> we tried to stick to our itinerary, even though I was like really ill. Like there were a lot of things that we didn't end up doing or I'd tell Dan to like go and do them without me. But I tried to like go on the walking tours and do all this stuff. I just like had to know where the nearest washroom was at all times. Oh. But then <laughs> there was this one trip that we took. So we ended up going from Lisbon to Spain and we did it by bus. And that mm -hmm. was like our original plan and everything. And I get on this bus. I'm like still feeling pretty sick. <laughs> and I like look on the bus because I'm like every traveling bus has a bathroom. This no one bathroom. didn't. And it was like <laughs> a four hour drive. Oh, no. And so we were like partway through the drive. I was like, Dan, I have to stop. We, I have to get off this bus. And he went and asked the driver if we could stop. So he made like an unplanned stop. The driver was a total asshole about it. It was so rude. Oh. And I ran to the washroom, like did my thing. And then as I was 
as I was coming back, Dan was like yelling at the bus driver because he was trying to leave without me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Dan's the hero in this story. Yeah, he is. Really is. <laughs> that sounds my awful life. though. Being on a bus with no bathroom and having to stop and like the bus driver being an asshole, that just gave me anxiety to think about. Yeah. I definitely have PTSD from that. Oh, that's awful. <laughs> I've never had food poisoning. Never? I wish I had a good story. No. <laughs> like, nothing where it was debilitating. Like, I've definitely obviously had, like, GI troubles, but no, like, I'm out for days kind of situation. Wow. I feel like that's I've got a strong stomach. And, you like, must. Not, like, not that I think I could, like, fight off botulism if I got it, <laughs> but I just, yeah, I've never had food poisoning, so I don't have a great story. But yours made up for the both of us. Yeah, I'm glad I remembered that one because I feel like I <laughs> oh, probably... Could you, you've repressed it. <laughs> my, yeah, my brain is definitely trying to repress that one. It was so embarrassing because I feel like everyone knew on the bus what was happening. Totally. They must have. <laughs> yeah. Aww. But whatever. <laughs> okay. Well, that's it for today. I think that was a fantastic episode, Becca. Great job. Good. I loved your part too. Thank you. <laughs> and we'll see you next week for Extra Cheese. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Dietetics After Dark. You can find all the references and materials used to put this podcast together in our show notes at dieteticsafterdark.com. This is an independently produced podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would rate, review, and subscribe to our show. For more information, follow us on Instagram at dieteticsafterdark. If you have an idea for an episode or segment, email us at dieteticsafterdark at gmail.com. This podcast was recorded and edited by Earworm Radio. We highly recommend their services for all of your podcasting needs. You can learn more about them at earwormradio.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.